two ponderings from the Perch the Little Bird Marketing Company podcast. My name is Priscilla McKinney and I'm here with an amazing person that's about to change your life. I'm just going to just full disclosure right now. So I have with me today Katya Cahoon and I met her earlier this year through an amazing webinar with my good friend, Lisa Wilding-Brown, who comes on this podcast all the time. And she is the CEO of Innovate MR, and she put us together, and it has been such magic. We've had amazing conversations. I just want to give you all this gift today. We are going to diverge from marketing tips and market research tips and everything like that, and we're going to talk about humanity. It's going to be so great. So it has has been so hard, so hard for everybody throughout the pandemic. So you're going to hear a lot today about what we can do about burnout and what we can do in terms of self-care. So Katya, welcome to Ponderings from the Perch. Thank you so much, Priscilla. No pressure at all about changing people's lives, right? No, no, no. (laughs) Believe me, I have a conversation with you for about 10 minutes and then something has like moved around and I'm like, this is better. It was better than 10 minutes ago. So don't worry about the pressure. You can do it. Um, It's a delight to be here, honestly. Thank you. Sure. Well, this cool webinar that you and I were on was entitled Joy is a Choice. And we had an interesting conversation about that. And just before we get going, I'll put an interesting caveat. You and I were both in the prep meeting talking about, yes, joy is a choice. And this is something we need to do. And this is about being healthy and being able to connect with ourselves. And you and I both brought up a point in the preparation of it about, but when people are depressed or they're burnout or they're struggling in some other way, whether it be mental health, whether it's permanent or temporary or long-term, you know, chronic kind of uh, problems, then people can't choose joy. And so we wanted to make sure that we have this conversation with people to not shame people into saying, if you're not happy, if you're not experiencing joy, this isn't more shame piled up on you. And I want to start right there with burnout because sometimes it can be such an already shaming topic. People might think they're not strong enough. So before we get into that crazy stuff, which is so good, oh my gosh, can you see I'm just already running Katya for it. But you have a unique background coming from market research into now this new field. Can you tell everybody just a short version of your journey so they know who you are and where you're coming from and from this perspective? Yeah, absolutely. So I had a career in market research, both on the uh, client side, the consulting side, and then I had my own company. And then about 15 or so years ago, I went through a horrible divorce and it threw me into a mental health spiral, really. I mean, I really from anxiety to panic attacks to depression. I experienced it all. I had an amazing therapist at the time and I'd already kind of been looking at what else can I do? I was doing very psychological consumer research and I watched her do her work and I thought I could do this and there must be others like me who are you know, high performing, who are doing these, these great projects all over the world and who are suffering inside. So I went back to school, got my license, started at the bottom, and now I work with, uh, you know, kind of high-performing professionals in Silicon Valley, and now also in Missouri. (laughs) I love it. I love it. So you bring up a word that is kind of tough in our society, suffering. Mm. So tell me about that place where you start and you identify people's suffering and where do you go from that? Yeah, so my view on suffering, and we can also put other labels on it, right? We can call it burnout, we can call it anxiety, we can call it phobias or depression. 
is that it is a signal. So while it really sucks to be in that place, it's actually an opportunity or a call for change, right? So if we look at it, depression or burnout, which there is a lot of overlap, it's saying, hey, something is completely out of balance. Something needs your attention. Please listen to me. And that takes a little bit the stigma out, right? Because when we look at a label like depression or anxiety or PTSD, it could sound like, oh my God, it's hopeless, hopeless, right? But when we look at it, hey, this is your body, your mind, your soul, perhaps signaling something's off. Now it's a different perspective. Yeah, yeah. Well, we're going to get a little personal in, in this uh, conversation today. Totally. <laughs> I, I warned you before this, um, you know, we have a really dynamic community out there, especially in the market research. We just have a posse that is online, a lot of amazing thought leaders, but also a lot of very, you know, caring people leading with empathy and really giving space to say, we want to work as professionals a little bit differently. We want some, some space. We need sometimes other people to hold the space for us. And it's not, um, it's not, you know, foofy stuff. It's, it's, look, we are high performing individuals, but I am more than this job. Right. Mm -hmm. And so to that end, I'm going to share a little bit about my story, um, you know, through the pandemic, which is what I think is so helpful. We're going to talk about how people can really come out of this um, more resilient, but through the pandemic, a lot of us had extremes, either we had no work or we had so much work, we could not even take it anymore. And, you know, I was on the side of 75, 80 hour work weeks, you know, for, you know, 18 months straight. And, um, you know, um, um, right alongside me, my leadership team, you know, and, you know, doing also what you can to kind of run interference and try and protect your leadership team and make the right decisions, turning some work down, which is ironic, you know, because we were still that busy. Um, and that was also very hard because it's almost like a little bit of survivor's guilt at the same time. You felt like you couldn't turn things down because so many people were suffering on the other extreme where they didn't have work and we were spending time trying to help those people find the next job. You know, it, there was just so much going on and, and it didn't matter what side of things you were on. People mm -hmm. were stressed, burnout, burnout from not working, burnout from working. Right. So a little bit of my story, you know, came this last June when I ended up in the hospital where they had to actually stop my heart, which was horrifying, <laughs> to get it to start back up again and not be racing, right? So, you know, this isn't a, a medical show, but suffice to say is that what I like where you're going with this idea that our body is giving us feedback, is giving us signals, and it really is either a call for help or a call for change. And so, I'm going to put this to you, Katya. That's a huge, huge deal to talk about. But when our bodies are saying things like this and trying to get our attention, what can we do that's not extreme? How can we best move through these types of things and learn and come out resilient, but without having to say, oh, now I'm going to never work again? You know, how can we not have, again, these opposite extremes? Yeah, that's a great question. And so it's really in building sustainable habits, right? I don't think the extremes are actually a good place to live in, right? right? We live in a society where most of us have to, you know, pay a mortgage or rent or whatever it might be, send our kids to school, buy food. So just checking out is actually the opposite, right? I often 
think of the window of tolerance where you have a window where you can operate well. Outside of that is hyper arousal where you have anxiety, anger issues, right? And then below the window of tolerance is shutting down, right? Where you dissociate, you shut down, you check out. And neither of those states are good. But what we want to do is really have sustainable habits so that we can function, that we can be productive, successful, you know, passionate, all those good things, joyful about what we do. And that really is in both what we do behaviorally, but also how we think, right? Mm -hmm. A lot of our issues that are driving, for example, burnout and stress are beliefs, right? So when we look at burnout, there is an external component, not having control. I actually myself just did a wonderful interview. I'm going to post it on my YouTube channel. So if you like, you can link to it with someone yeah. who works organizationally, Tanya Ta, Tanya Ta. So she works with organizations to prevent burnout because her premise is burnout is created by organizations, but experienced by individuals. Oh, that is interesting. We will definitely put that in the show notes. You put it in watch the show it. notes. Great <laughs> interview. That's not my area, right? I work mostly on an individual level. And if I work with organizations, I still work on the level of thought and behavior, individual mm -hmm. behavior. So going back to beliefs, there are beliefs that are driving, overworking, uh, guilt, you mentioned, right? So I'm not good enough. I don't do enough. I should be doing more, right? The survivor guilt, mm -hmm. um, the guilt of, oh, I have it so good, ding, right? Why don't others don't? Mm -hmm. So, and then that guilt drives overworking and certain behaviors. And then we end up in a situation where a body is saying, you know, I've been talking to you for a long time. You haven't been listening. <laughs> Boom, it happened to me. My yeah. hair was falling out. I wasn't listening. Mm -hmm. I couldn't stop. I wasn't listening until I had a breakdown. Right. Like kind of what you're describing. So mm -hmm. it's good to listen early. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, and I'll add one other intricacy to it as well, because uh, again, another thing to remove the stigma, you know, mm -hmm. I found my own personal story to be that I get so stupid excited about my job. I, I'm no joke. And it, it's not this, oh, I love it. I mean, listen, I love my husband. I love my family. I love my, you know, the stuff I do. I just happen to find my job super intriguing. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I, when this, this was happening and there was all of a sudden major growth and I was in the middle of scaling the company and then, you know, COVID hit and all this stuff. We were really at the top of our game when COVID hit and it was just so, you know, crazy that things got even better. But to your point, way too much, right? Um, and the interesting I mean, thing about it is I had to learn that I was experiencing something very positive. I was so charged by the, the um, excitement, but my body does not understand the difference between anxiety and excitement in terms they're both living very, very close on the edge. And so while I was like thinking, this is so positive, this is so everything I liked, I, I really had an opportunity to go out and help a lot of people in the industry. And that gets me going and gets me up in the morning. And, but it really is understanding just the shells that we live in, that our bodies are unable to distinguish between that positive stress and negative stress and our bodies still need us to listen. You know, completely. And I don't actually like that positive negative stress distinction anymore. Yes, it right. feels good. But what you're describing, and I get that too, because I get crazy excited about my work <laughs> and about, you know, destigmatizing mental health, is you were, and so was I, in a constantly mobilized state 
from a nervous system perspective. So really constantly in sympathetic nervous system, which really is a state designed for emergencies or for important (laughs) situation, right? Saber tiger coming and, or, you know, some tribe attacking your tribe. (laughs) Right. But when we're constantly in that state, we get mental health symptoms or can, but also inflammation, chronic issues, chronic pain, insomnia, right? All those things. So Mm -hmm. even though it's good, we need to slow down and go into parasympathetic state, uh, Mm, which is the mm. rest and digest. So if, for example, if your listeners, if somebody's experiencing gut issues, digestive issues, if you're not resting enough, your gut is not digesting, Mm -hmm. right? So all these mental health, so all these behaviors, these mental health symptoms also have a physiological outcome if you want or marker Uh, it's Mm -hmm. not just in our head so to say (laughs) right right so this is interesting let's take this kind of a a, a, the next step I happen to have a team who is just ridiculously helpful like everybody always wants to help and I always say you know the good news is we're all really helpful the bad news is we're all really helpful (laughs) yes because sometimes people overdo and I am trying to lead in a way to make people mindful of that and to say we all have to be responsible for knowing where our limits are right and um, I guess I'm curious from your perspective then as a team how can we operate as a, an individual because that's your specialty how do you get an individual to be able to um, start talking to the team how can the t- individual really come into the team and carve out the kind of uh, space for the parasympathetic, you know, um, rest in there. Yeah. I mean, first of all, I want to say your team is a reflection of you. I mean, you're so (laughs) helpful and kind and giving and I see your posts, right. And I've talked to you many a time, your generosity and and helpfulness is really, it just shines through everything. So I'm not surprised. (laughs) Well, thanks. (laughs) Oh, absolutely. Um, so I'm going to say something very flippant and then I'll give an explanation. So okay. I think this is a saying in English too, but in German we say the fish stinks from the head. Oh, <laughs> so mm-hmm. <laughs> what I mean by that is what the leadership does and models gets reflected. So you even talking about that, and I saw your post, I think a while ago on LinkedIn about there is no positive and negative stress and kind of how you were impacted. That makes a huge difference Mm -hmm. because if you're a leader who models always available, always online, always responses, no, no holidays or, you know, breaks, or I don't know, you know, I'm getting a kidney replacement, but please text me, you know, Right. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. That's you modeling something. Right. Mm -hmm. Versus a leader who, you know, says, hey, you know what? I need a break. Mm -hmm. I'm I'm a little like I'm a little too sympathetic. I'm a little too mobilized. Now you have language (laughs) for that. I need to slow down. I'm going to be offline for half a day or a day or whatever. Yeah. Right. I think that makes a huge difference because people look to you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it's so funny that I do, I do really appreciate my team every time I'm going to go out on vacation. It's like the week before everybody's like, and how do we have you never talk to us? And I'm like, okay, I need this. I need this. I need this. And they're like, okay, 
don't call here. And I'm like, sounds good. See you later. <laughs> you know, right. and it, but it does take work. And I appreciate that's what you're saying. It takes talking about that so that people can understand the space that they, they need, you know, because it is like, for example, different for me as a selling president, you know, sometimes I am on the road traveling. I'm not on vacation. I'm available because I'm working. And so you have to really be clear with people when you're working and when you're not working. Right. Because otherwise they don't know because I'm just not in the office. <laughs> That's really important, especially in this online environment right now, which I think in some ways is amazing. And in other ways, the, the boundary between work and, and personal life is much more fluid. Right. When I'm in an office, I leave the office and sure, I have my devices, but there's still sort of a separation. And now I'm home and mm -hmm. you're probably home or, you know, I do. I think you have an office space as well. Yeah. Uh -huh. But nonetheless. Right. The other thing I was going to say is, yeah, clarity and then also modeling. So teaching your team, teaching yourself and then teaching mm -hmm. your team some of these ways of slowing down and actually checking in, mm -hmm. which in my opinion, also increases productivity, right? If I'm present in my body, I can be present with empathy, which April Bell writes about this, helps you, for example, with innovation. Uh, so why not start a meeting with a brief break to breathe, a little guided meditation, a little check-in, how we're feeling today, what's going mm -hmm. on? How's the energy in the room? Oh my right? gosh, I can't believe you said that, Katya, because we used to do this thing, head, hand, heart, Uh, when we'd start in and we would talk about, you know, what's, uh, what's uh, on my, uh, in, in my head, like, what are the things at the forefront of, of more vision? Like, sorry, not at the forefront, but like, what things am I kind of seeing out there on the horizon that are kind of on my mind, right? And then hands, like, what do I have to get done today? And then if, if um, employees wanted to share, they could do the third one, which is, you know, heart. And every time at the end of those three, everybody had to end it by saying, and with that, I'm in. And you know, it's so funny. I can't believe you just said that during this meeting, because now that I think about it, we haven't done that since the pandemic started. Oh my gosh, like revelation in this podcast. Like we used to do that almost like clockwork. And I don't know where that went. And that's so interesting. And this is why this is so important to talk about this amongst our peers is because we sometimes forget that we have set some parameters to be sure that we, we we take care of ourselves. And then I don't know what happens to them when the world basically falls apart. Yeah, I mean, the context changed, right? And we're context-driven creatures. So our context changes back to more to online or something. And suddenly some of these habits, that beautiful habits that you had established, boom, they're gone. Mm. Uh, so we have to reestablish them or establish them in a, in a new way. Yeah, right? but these are really the things if you model or integrate those things, people mm -hmm. are starting to learn that they can do that. They can check in with their heart. It's okay to talk about, wow, I'm feeling overwhelmed. Mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. Brené Brown is wonderful. She does a lot of that in her organization, right? She, I know. Mm -hmm. she, big, love, she, big love, oh, big love. <laughs> And she writes about it in Daring to Lead, some of these mm -hmm. practices of slowing down, checking in. And, and really, how do we signal that you don't have to be on all the time 
right. and that it's okay to slow right. down. Right, right. So help individuals understand this. I feel like you've given me a lot of great advice as a leader. It does have to happen from the top down. We need to start that uh, that vernacular. You know, it has to just be very normal to talk about these kinds of things because mm-hmm. where is the person who's going to be at the bottom of the totem pole and be brave enough to say this, right? So we need to take our responsibility and take our cues there. But let's talk about people who do feel like they could walk in and start talking like this. What are some things that they can do that, and this is, you know, maybe I'll say something flippant, but sometimes, you know, I feel like people come in and then they kind of expect the world of, oh, let's just kind of unwind and I get to do whatever I want. And we all know that doesn't work in corporate America either, you know, and certainly I'm not holding up corporate America as like the standard or the be all. We obviously are very involved in our culture here, but we also have clients that we're beholden to. We have to get things out the door. So can you give some advice to, you know, to employees, you work with those individuals, what would you say to them about how to really start you know, letting their voice be heard in a way that is responsible in the workplace? Yeah, great question. Um, so yeah, and and I'm with you, I believe in self-responsibility, right? I mean, there are environments that are difficult and bosses that, that are shitty. And yet as adults with a little bit of power, right, we're talking about people who are in white collar environments, we're not, you know, on the assembly line, or I would assume your listeners don't work on the assembly <laughs> Don't line, think so. <laughs> which is a very powerless environment. Yeah, right? yeah, it can be, yeah. There, yeah, there is that sense of self-responsibility and looking at, okay, what's holding me back from for example, speaking up or from stepping back or from taking a little bit more power and control, right? And then given that the environment allows that. So I would imagine, again, in our industry, it's a pretty empathetic industry. And yes, we do have deadlines. So there is crunch time sometimes. I do remember that. I remember (laughs) the all-nighters, right? Or you know, you fly to Germany and the next day or wherever you do your interviews and you're jet lagged and all of that, and you just have to get through it, right? Mm -hmm. So What's standing in the way? What is holding you back internally from doing that? What are the limiting beliefs that are holding you back? What have you experienced earlier in your life or in your career that's still holding you back, even though it might not be true anymore, Mm -hmm. right? And then questioning those beliefs can be really, really helpful, Mm -hmm. right? So is that actually true? And the other question is, what do I need to learn to be able to do that? Do I need, what are the, it's the practical side, right? What are the communication skills I need to set better boundaries, right? So crucial conversations or nonviolent communication, for example, as resources. Mm -hmm. Or what do I need to do to get more in touch with how I'm feeling? Do I need to develop a mindfulness practice? Do I need to get out in nature on a regular basis? Maybe, you know, instead of shoveling down my lunch in front of the computer, can I get an accountability buddy and actually take a break and go outside mm. or lie down, right? Earlier, I have so much exciting stuff going on. And my tendency also is to be super mobilized. But I recognized, wow, my heart rate's up. I'm feeling like a little, whew, like I'm swimming. Mm-hmm. So I laid down for 10 minutes and meditated, right? And because I was like, what do I do, right? I have this podcast and I have this and I have that. <laughs> and then I so laid down and and breathe for 10 minutes and I had clarity again and I knew what to do and how to focus Mm -hmm. right no one can do that for you no one can but I love what you're doing here and that is to give us hope 
with a solution that is possible within our day. This isn't about then saying, I guess I can't work. I guess I'm going to have to go part-time or I'm going to have to quit. Or it can be, I'm going to have to stop for 10 minutes. I'm mm-hmm. going to have to lay down. I have a very comfy rug that like just cries out for my face to lay on. <laughs> I'm serious. It's the best rug ever. It's like so comfy. It. And, you know, and every once in a while, it kind of calls my name. I'm like, I might need to lay down over there. <laughs> and it, but yeah. I love that idea as silly as it may sound, you know, even being able to get up from your desk and walk the stairs for, you know, five minutes. So just these ideas that these are things within our control as opposed to making these extreme movements. And I want to tell you a story. I think you'll really appreciate this. I, I believe in listening to my life, right? My, my friend, my favorite um, author is Frederick Buechner. And he says, listen to your life. That's like probably the number one thing he talks about. And I remember one day realizing that I was always in the travel section at every bookstore. I all I've, I've read probably every travel narrative. I don't care about like go here, do that. That's not what I want, but Mm -hmm. stories of people doing this. And I realized one day (laughs) standing in my library at home that I have so many books about people who left their whole lives behind, sold everything and went on a boat or went on to this and took their family away. And it's very, very extreme from, you know, there's another one about a guy who was, you know, high pressure stuff and he goes to Bali, you know, so it's like, goes from the boardroom to, you know, absolutely barefoot, you know, kind of thing. And I always was drawn by these stories. And one day, I don't know, just like finally this drop of maturity in my life, maybe I was finally willing to see it, but I was like, oh my gosh, I really, I really kind of praise or idealize that or idolize that. And I thought, oh my gosh, what a much better life if I never have to do that. If I never have to go from one extreme to the other, if I could instill, instead just live right in the middle of who I want to be and never push myself to a brink. So true. Oh my gosh. And what a great insight because we do as a society idolize these stories, right? Yes. The, the person who left everything and then they mm-hmm. hashtag van life, right? And all of that. <laughs> but how many people can do that, Right. right. You have family. Most people have families, right? Or we have, Mm -hmm. I don't know, responsibilities toward clients or employees or customers, whatever it might be. And so that's why it takes me back to sustainable habits and creating the structure in your life to be able to maintain that and to maintain your work life. Mm. Which, for If we take the burnout out, it can be incredibly joyful, right? I'm in a very burnout prone profession right, right. And, and I've certainly right burnout comes and goes or they I notice oh need to slow down a little bit mm-hmm. but I really believe that we can design our life in a way that's sustainable where we can have that joy and where we have crunch time on occasion right and then it slows down a little bit mm-hmm. but it really does start with doing things every day that are doable Right, right. Like everybody, if you so, as the Dalai Lama says, and I might be misquoting him, if you don't have ten minutes, you must take thirty. Right. <laughs> you know what? That's funny. C.S. Lewis has another quote that's I'm going to butcher it too. But so <laughs> tit for tat here. <laughs> gotcha. Um, but he, you know, people say, well, I have a really busy day, day today, so I don't have any time to pray. It's like, well, that's the day I probably need to spend more time in prayer. <laughs> and that is the exact Completely. same concept of saying, you know, when I'm going to be pushed to the nth degree is the time I need to be aware of who I am and what I actually have to give. 
Completely. And it really goes back to values and beliefs. And, you know, in our value statements or values, are we valuing ourselves, Mm -hmm. right? You value your employees, you value your customers. Where are you in the value statement? Yeah, yeah. Value your coworkers, right? But am I included in my value statement as somebody who matters Mm -hmm. and who's worthy of a break or self-care whatever it might be. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And, you know, I saw this a while back. I saw um, a message that said, well, what will be your your wake-up call? And I thought, you know, wouldn't it be awesome uh, along those same lines, wouldn't it be awesome if you just had a little wake-up call every day? Like where, where in your day and, and what you're saying is like, maybe at the beginning, it's like kind of preparing for your day. When, when today might I need a wake up call? Just remind me to come, come back online, you know, and, and kind of what you gave me the advice of, you know, make sure that you are operating at some point in that parasympathetic, you know, resting mode. When can I get a wake up call? That's not dramatic. Can I get um, feedback and actually listen to it the first time? Right. And that takes me back to the body. And that's actually, it's simple, but not easy because we're in a very disembodied society. And you, you and I, we love our intellect, right? And yes. all of that. And <laughs> most of us, right. And we live in a profession where that's really prized and we kind of live from the neck up very often, but our body will actually give you a signal. So like for me, Personally, I notice my heart rate goes up and it just feels like a little more kind of buzzy. I have a little bit more buzzy energy, kind of like Mm -hmm. a little running on empty. And that's for me, the little wake up call, Mm -hmm. right? So do I now drink another cup of coffee or do I take, it doesn't even have to be 10 minutes. Can I take a minute of breathing? Mm -hmm. Can I, I like lying down. So, you know, just stretching out and lying down and breathe for it. 30 to 60 seconds of breathing will do wonders for your nervous system. Mm-hmm. But it does mean we have to learn to listen to yeah. our body and not be so disembodied, right? Yeah. Every um, every physical fitness coach I've ever had has heard from me, uh, when do we do Shavasana? I just want to lay here. <laughs> Is that coming? Is that next? And they're like, we're not doing that today. I'm like, why? <laughs> no, we need to do that every we day. <laughs> you're just like, geez, Priscilla. <laughs> We got to get through this Pilates first. I'm like, do we? Do we really? <laughs> we could just do an hour of Shavasana. <laughs> <laughs> I swear, maybe I should make the t-shirt. I'm living for Shavasana. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> oh my gosh, it's so funny. Well, I really enjoy what you're saying about, you know, it, it, I do think one, one interesting thing, if I could make one generalization, is that women do tend to be more of that caretaker. And it's so funny because... I don't really, you know, in almost every other aspect of my life, I don't really associate, you know, really strongly with highly maternal kinds of things. My husband's a stay-at-home dad. He's raised our kids. He, you know, bathed our kids. He took, put them through homeschool. You know, I mean, he's, he, he's very hands-on and very a caretaker. I have a caretaker, you know, constantly. And it's enabled a very high, you know, uh, performing life. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think... It, what I do see out there in, you know, in society to a big degree is that a lot of women do put themselves last. And what's interesting about that is that, you know, there, there tends to be a little bit of like what you say, like that badge of honor, like, oh, you first, you first, you first, but it's, that's not a great way to live your life. And I love what you're saying is that we all need to look at ourselves and say, is this what I want to model? Is this what I want to model to my employees? Is this what I want my kids to do? 
with their lives, you know, even with a spouse or with your friends, is, is, is this the wisdom you would impart to a friend who was struggling and feeling the burnout? So, I, I, you know, for me, I think that's a super strong thing. What would you say uh, as far as like coming out of the pandemic? Do you have some thoughts about how you've been working with people and what little maybe things we could put in our minds to think through how we could come out of this a little bit more resilient and a little bit more hopeful, really? Yeah. Oh, so many good questions. Um, and it depends what environment you go back to, right? Because again, context is everything. I'm working from home. I can lie down on the floor in my office and nobody's going to bat an eyelid. Can I do that in the office? Not sure. Right. So maybe to be very, very conscious, what environment am I going to go back to and what habits do I want to bring or perhaps start there, perhaps even as a team with my coworkers, or maybe it's a coworker I like and I go on a walk with them every lunchtime, right? So to be really, really intentional and conscious about what I'm creating as we get out of this. And it depends a little bit If somebody now has a lot of work, there's probably like, I have to catch up, I have to catch up, right? I didn't work for half a year or a year or whatever. And to really also make sure you you include yourself in the value statement or in your values. Mm -hmm. uh, and to also recognize, hey, we got through this. Oh we got through this as a community, as individuals. Yes, with some bruises and some scars for some of us, right? But we got through it. Uh, mm -hmm. and, and it's important to remember that how did we get through it? Well, for I think you and I have talked about that, a big part is community, yeah. right? I feel the community has actually gotten closer. Oh, a hundred percent, a hundred percent. And the other thing I think is, you know, you and I talked a lot about, you know, people recognizing that they're not a person who helps or a person who needs help. We, at noon, I could be like the strongest, what can I do for you, Katja? And by four, I'm like, Katja, help me. <laughs> you know? And not even that extreme either. You know, I can just be, you know, heading out on the way home. You and I are good friends with Lisa Wilding Brown. And, you know, I might just be, uh, you know, call her at the end of the day and be like, I don't know. I just, I just, you know, I'm just feeling disconnected. Like, let's just chat for five minutes. She's like, oh, okay, I'm making dinner. You know, like, what do you want to chat about? You know, kind of thing. So it doesn't have to be these extremes, but I do think that it is about recognizing the complexity of our feelings through this. And one thing I, I love when I'm, when I'm with you, I, I get this, this just a hundred percent feeling of compassion mm. and, you know, really you can call that empathy at the end of the day, but it's a compassion to say, I don't need to fix you. Just let me hear what, what's going on. And I can say they're there, but I don't have to fix Priscilla. And I also then feel released. I don't have to fix Katya. You know, I can just like have this camaraderie. And I felt that through this, nobody could really fix, you know, the pandemic for us. And so we were forced to just leave it alone, <laughs> you know? And so we were able to just say, they're there. That's hard. I'm sorry. And that felt different to me. Did you feel that? Oh, you, you're just warming my heart because you said two things I want to touch on. First of all, the vulnerability, right? The vulnerability of this situation. It really reminded us how vulnerable we are as individuals, as a species, as societies, right? And to 
take some of that vulnerability in a positive kind of in the sense of how Brene Brown talks about it, right? That can we bring some of that back, the honesty about mental health or burnout or health conditions, right? I think that's really something it kind of cracked us open a little bit. And when we get cracked open, it's always an opportunity to emerge differently, right? And, And the other thing, I personally love compassion because my understanding of compassion is seeing the suffering and feeling moved to action. And sometimes feeling moved to action is exactly what you talk about. And anybody can do that. You don't have to be a therapist. It's just to listen and to hold space, Mm -hmm. to be present and say, I hear you. I get Mm it. Mm -hmm. Uh, Because, yeah, we can't fix another person. That is actually something that leads to burnout, whether we are a professional therapist or, you know, a coworker or mom, a dad or, you know, a a, a leader, right? We Mm -hmm. can't fix, but we can create the space in which people can thrive or just feel like, ah, I can take a breath. (laughs) Oh my gosh, we could talk forever. Okay, I want to talk about one last thing. And again, I'm just going to be vulnerable and tell everybody what the problems are with me. Okay, so (laughs) um, one of the things that I hear a lot of times with these topics is now I've got a whole nother list of things I got to do. I got to listen to myself, I got to take care, I got to go, you know, take a bath, I got to go lay on the carpet, I got to go, you know, and all these things, it's like on top of the stress and the anxiety and the feelings that we already have of, you know, not quite getting everything done, or maybe not serving everybody to the nth degree, then on top of that, now we have, we have, you know, some guilt about, okay, well, now I, I better rearrange my life, I better get to journaling, I get a bit, you know, all this kind of stuff. And so I just want to end by saying this, how do we talk about this in a way where we're not piling more to do on each other? Um, and specifically, I'll say this for any of you out there who feel this way. I am not a habitual person. Mm-hmm. I do. So I live a different life every day. And even my husband gave it. He, he gave me that insight one day. He had somebody give us a um, uh, like a, a workshop thing. And he was like, well, give me two words that are really positive that describe me and give me one word that's really positive that does not describe me. And he said habitual you're not habitual. You know, I was like, and I had been struggling so much. I know this is going to be so stupid to take some stupid medicine every day at the same time. And then finally I went, I worked for years struggling to do that on my own. Finally, I said, Oh, can you just put it on my dinner plate every night? And he's like, yeah. And then it was (laughs) solved. It was solved. You know, And it was so funny because he's very habitual. And so, you know, I would love to hear your take on other things you've heard or like, how do you approach this so that we don't pile more on top of ourselves? Oh, such a good question and such a huge problem that I don't have a perfect answer for because I'm figuring it out myself and I'm still <laughs> working with my clients, right? I'm not a crazy habitual person myself. I do consider myself as having good discipline, but that doesn't necessarily mean I'm habitual, Right. So one of the things I'm thinking about is um, first. okay, a couple of things. First of all, think about brushing your teeth. Right. It's not on your to do list and you do it anyway. Why? Because you have it's so ingrained. You just do it and you can learn. For example, let's take good breathing, like calm breathing. You can absolutely come to a point where that becomes habitual in any circumstance. That's one of the first things I go to at this point. Trust me, it's been a long and rough and <laughs> painful journey with lots of, you know, hair falling out and stuff where now I recognize, oh, wait, 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 I haven't taken a breath in like five hours. Okay, let me, ah, 
take a deep breath. So those things, and that's what I work with my clients on, right? To habituate that so that they, in any situation, realize, oh, I can take a breath. And that's already a lot. Mm. The other thing is to really see the benefits. And once you've realized that there are benefits to certain things, it becomes a little bit easier. It's not just a chore, but it's, oh, my 10 minutes of lying down or two minutes of lying down. It's not a chore because I know, oh, I will feel so much better. I won't feel mm-hmm. like I've had 10 cups of coffee. Right. Right. And the last thing, and all of these things, unfortunately, I wish I had a magic pill or wand to take a little bit of effort is to do what I call mindfulness in action. So be where you are. So sometimes when I feel crazy overwhelmed and I'm making dinner and I'm like, oh, I don't want to make dinner. It's I have too much. Oh, what do I do? And I need to do, right? And my mind is going a million miles an hour. I just simply say to myself, breathing in, I'm chopping carrots. Breathing out, I'm chopping carrots. And instead of that crazy mental chatter, I'm like, right. Breathing in, I put the pot on the stove. Breathing <laughs> out, I stir. And it sounds really kind of cool. Oh, I love it though. But you know what? It works. Yeah, it really yeah. does. Because suddenly I'm just focused on stirring or chopping right. and breathing. And whew. yeah. Well, you're not focusing on the thing you're losing. You're focusing on the thing you're doing, right? And that's how that, 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 that's just like, so the base of our, you know, uh, completely nervous system override society of what are you supposed to be doing that you're not doing right now? <laughs> it's it's Wait, like, exactly. I am stirring the goddamn pot. <laughs> I'm stirring the goddamn pot. It's exactly. And think of, instead of thinking, okay, I have to do this, this, and this. Yes, I do. Mm-hmm. When I'm done stirring the pot. Right. right. <laughs> Okay, Katja, thank you so much for coming on Ponderings of the Purchase. It's been amazing. I do hope you'll come back and talk with us. But so that my listeners know where they can reach out to you, how, how can how can they reach you and get in touch with the work that you do? Absolutely. So they can find me on LinkedIn, just under Katja Cahoon. They can find me on my website, katjacahoon.com slash news, where I post workshops and things like that. I have a YouTube channel where I post my own interviews or little, you know, things about mental health that are hopefully interesting. (laughs) And I think I'm on Instagram at a weird handle, your change champion. Oh, I love that. Okay. But for those of you listening, it's Katja, K-A-T-J-A and Cahoon is C-A-H-O-O-N. So I want to make sure you find the right person. She's just such a lovely soul. She's added to my life. So Katja, thanks so much for coming on Ponderings from the Birch. Oh, Priscilla, it was an absolute joy as always. Thank you. Well, I hope you got a lot out of today. And from all of the peeps here at Little Bird Marketing, take care of yourself. And of course, happy marketing. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.